Good morning, everybody. Wow, it is such a pleasure to be here with you all this morning. Um, South Africa is the most beautiful thing. I feel so connected in so many ways. It's almost like I'm home, and I am. Y'all are my people, and we are your people. And I just thank you guys for being so inviting. Is it okay that we be ourselves this morning? Is that going to be okay with y'all? Can we tell some truths? Is that all right? Is that okay? Can we just keep it real today? <laughs> because we're going to be honest with you and share with you the path that led us to today. Even though you're looking at us today and you say, they're the founders of Couples Academy, and look what they've done, and we go and we deal with couples all around the world. There was a time when it wasn't always glitz and glam, right? There was a way back when, and we want to share with you some of the struggles that we went through so that we can get to the next thing. And so before we get into all that goodness, first of all, we have to acknowledge the founder, the pastor, the visionary of Faith Hill Church, Pastor Tafara, who's not with us, but this is an extraordinary man, a leader. He is a dear friend. You know, it was T.E. Lawrence who said, all men dream, but not equally. Those men who dream at night in the dusty recesses of their minds awaken to find that it was but vanity. But those who dream by day, these are the dangerous ones, for they dream with their eyes open to make sure that their dreams come true. And Pastor Tafar is one of those dangerous men who has dreamt with his eyes open. And just a few years later, we're now starting to see the manifestation of that dream. So for all that he has done in being a visionary leader and being a spiritual leader over everyone in this house, let's just give him a strong round of applause yes. for him and his beautiful wife who do an extraordinary job. And so we're just happy to be here, me for the second time, my wife for the first time. And it, it, truly, it truly feels like home here. And so we're going to dig in deep. We're going to share with you who we are and what we've gone through, because unfortunately, there's so many people who may come before you uh, who present themselves as faultless, as sinless, as if they've been through nothing in their relationship, and it's kind of hard to connect with them. And so you need to know that even though we're doing well today, it wasn't always like that. And so to Danielle's point, we went through some trials and tribulations, and we want to kind of share some of those things with you and then give you some principles that will anchor you in your marriage so that you can take your relationship to the next level. How many by show of hands want a better relationship? Okay. If you want something more, if you want something better, you came to the right place. So before we get started, listen, you have a piece of paper. I encourage, I implore, I uh, significantly want to encourage you to write down a question. Regardless of what we're here talking about, you came here this morning with an issue, with a problem, with a concern, with something that you uh, need to have addressed. And we don't want you leaving here without getting the answer to that question or the solution to that problem. So much so that I will even cut this presentation short so we can spend more time on the Q&A side so that you get what it is that you came for. So, so let's just give you foundation. So, so Couples Academy. Um, We've been around for quite some time, and, and we created this organization uh, to help couples by placing them on the path to fulfillment or those who are in crisis on the verge of divorce, just discovered an infidelity, and they are on the road to recovery. But that's why we did it, but we did it because of the pain that we've experienced in our relationship. And I would say three years into I Do, we were on the verge of divorce. And so either she was going to divorce me, I was going to divorce her, but it was at that moment that we made the decision, or I made the decision first, to divorce me from myself, to divorce myself from my false sense of masculinity 
that didn't work in favor of our marriage, to divorce myself from my poor communication skills. Because I remember uh, <laughs> I was very critical. I was very judgmental. I would shut her down. I wouldn't honor her opinion. I would expose her. And the, the, the worst part about it, I did it unconsciously. Because I was uh, raised in a very critical, judgmental home, and it became a part of who I am. It became a part of my family marinade. And so when I became an adult and entered into an adult relationship, I brought that into the relationship with me. And I didn't realize how, how, critical, and how, uh, how critical our relationship was based upon my own uh, insecurities, my own faults, fears, inadequacies. And it literally almost ripped our marriage apart. And I remember... Uh, in an argument one day, we're sitting on the edge of the bed. Danielle's in tears. She's crying. She looks me in the eye, and she says, what? <laughs> you declitterize me. You know, my issue started when I was growing up in my home. I came from a broken home. So my parents divorced. There was a lot of violence in my home. There was fighting in my home. Um, I had witnessed my own father pull a gun out and say, give it to my brother and say, kill yourself. Just go ahead, kill yourself. So I didn't come from a home that was, you know, peaceful and that had balance and that made sense. It was crazy. And so coming from that, there was a lot of mistrust. There was a lot of issues that I brought into the relationship. But then growing up and after the divorce and having three brothers who I think they tried to overcompensate for the, for the lack in the home, I never heard a criticism from them. I never heard a fault or a flaw from them. To them, I was the apple of the eye. I was their sister, and I meant everything to them. So when I married this one, and he was Romeo when we first got there. When I tell you Romeo, I mean like yelling up to the window like, Danielle, Danielle, wherefore out there? You know, and I would be like, oh, Lord, that is a bit much, you know. But that's who he was. But then when we got together, and I started to see the layers of the onion unpeel, I'm like, oh, that's not who I thought I married. He's judgmental. He's critical. And I've never heard all of this about me. I mean, of course, I'm perfect because nobody ever said anything. So she thought. So I thought. Now, I, did I really think I was perfect? No. But I, I didn't have a concept to receive all the criticism. So you can see that a lot of the issues we have in our marriage stem from stuff that we picked up along the way that we didn't even realize. We didn't ask to grow up in the homes that we grew up in. He came from a critical home. He didn't ask for that, but we are marinated in it, and when we're unconscious of it, then we bring it into our relationship. And so because of these challenges, I mean, that coupled with the fact that, you know, when you're married, we had, young, we had children very young. We were broke, busted, and disgusted, didn't have a pot to pee in or a window to throw it out of. We had all types of challenges. There were times when the lights were out, rent was late. So we're fighting about money. We're fighting uh, because of our communication issues. It got to a point where we didn't even like each other anymore. There was no passion. There was no sex. We were just two strangers living in the same household who shared nothing but a couple of bills and a whole bunch of kids. <laughs> and so those children uh, oftentimes became the, the source of our affection, the source of our attention. That be, like we took off our husband and wife hat and put on our mommy and daddy hat. And the love that we used to give each other, we now gave to the children. The resources that we used to invest in each other, we now invested in the children. And that became the, the focus of our, of our relationship. And so we went through what we call the three stages that many couples go through. We went from being soulmates to roommates to roommates. There was an emotional disconnect. 
And based upon that disconnect, what happens is when you have a desire to connect, you will connect with anything and wherever you can get it from. And then that's when inappropriate interactions and conversations started to come into our relationship. Absolutely. And, you know, Hassani has been speaking uh, on, at college campuses and universities and organizations since we met. And so he always traveled abroad and all over. And so, but I never had a reason to not trust him until our relationship started to fade and we became distant. Not only did he have opportunities left and right to engage, and, and you could talk about that, to engage or to um, deal with other women. He had many opportunities. But I also had friends and connections right on the ground where I was. And so I, I remember there was a time where a long-lost friend, now you know about these long-lost friends, it's easier than ever to connect with a long-lost friend, social media, right? Well, I remember a long-lost friend had found me on Facebook back when Facebook was just, like, really getting started. And I was so happy because we were so disconnected. And I wasn't interested in a sexual relationship. These things start out innocent, don't they? Like, you never plan to do these things. They're very innocent. You're just excited because, oh, I haven't seen you in so long. And all the feelings and emotions come back because your brain is a recorder of emotions and feelings and experiences. And so it, it's almost like euphoria you, when you reconnect with someone. And so I was so happy to have him in my life and to co communicate with him. And I remember sharing it with you saying, you know, my friend Squirrel, like, I just want you to meet him. And it started out innocently, but it could have quickly turned into something. And so that was an emotional connection. It had not moved into an emotional affair, but it was the road to an emotional affair until we checked it. And I think it's important for us to understand, you know, since we're on this topic of affairs, what affairs actually are. Because many of us take a very one-dimensional approach to an affair. So we equate it with something that is strictly physical, that unless there was sex involved, then whatever we're doing is appropriate. But it's not appropriate because you can have an affair of the heart, right? An emotional affair doesn't necessarily have to involve your body, though it can. I say this all the time. The affairs never begin in the bedroom. They end in the bedroom. And slowly but surely, over the course of time, if you have boundaries that become a little bit blurred, you can easily cross over into things that you should not be in. And so, as a result, infidelity can occur. And so that's why it's important as couples that we truly embrace intimacy, yeah. right? Intimacy, into me see, allowing your partner to see inside your heart, to soul. Intimacy is not just physical. In essence, there are, in essence, four aspects of who we are. You have your spiritual self. You have your emotional self. You have your intellectual self and then your physical self. And so it is important if you're truly entering into oneness or intimacy that you're connected in all four areas. Because if we're connected physically, because that's what marriage allows you to do, but we're not connected emotionally, there's a problem. If we can have great conversation and intellectualize and talk about politics and talk about Trump and talk about a movie we just saw and talk about what we're doing for the weekend and talking about everybody else's relationship but our own, if we can connect intellectually but not spiritually, then there's a, there's a void, there's a breach, there's a break. And so you want to do the best you can to connect in all four areas, truly become one, because once you're connected, then there's no need or desire to connect with anyone outside. But when there is no connection, 
what happens is you begin to build a wall between you and your spouse, a wall that prevents her from getting in and from me getting into her emotionally. And so if, as walls are developed, windows are then constructed, and now we're able to look and connect with people outside the marriage. So if you really want to preserve your marriage, you've got to build walls around your marriage and build windows in between you and your spouse so that you can connect into one another. And I think that's where the challenge is. Many of us are in marriage, but we don't realize that there are rules, that there are laws, that there, there are principles by which you should govern your relationship. And if you have no laws that govern your relationship, in essence, you're lawless. If you're lawless, then that means that there's the potential for anarchy. And if there's a potential for anarchy, then that means anything can happen. That's when destruction begins to take place in a relationship. So just as she was connected to someone, a friend, nothing happened. I also traveling around the country, speaking on college campuses. Now I'm young at the time. We're married, 25, 26, so we're still young. You know, so I'm building relationships and connections and having conversations online that were, I mean, I wouldn't say inappropriate because there was nothing sexual, but the point is I was connecting in a way with someone else the way I should have been connecting with my wife. And see, that's how it happens. And if we view affairs or inappropriate relationships as the worst that it can be, sex, and don't look at all of the steps that lead up to that, then we're doing ourselves a great injustice. Does that make sense? And just to speak to the walls that are built up, and these walls are built up by both genders. It's not a woman's thing versus a man's thing. But I just remember having these walls, and the whole criticism piece was a big part of our issue. And I remember that it got to the point where my walls were so fortified that it didn't matter what he said. It didn't matter if he spoke a compliment. It didn't matter if he spoke a criticism. None of it would would penetrate. I was so protected all around. But as a Christian wife, I felt that it was my responsibility still to do certain things. So you would never know. If you saw us, you would never know that there was anything going on because I would still cook. You know, I would still do the, you know, do the duties. But inside, internally, there was a disconnect. And I remember having to go into the shower and pray and just really ask God to help me any time and every time we needed to be intimate. It was a struggle because we were so disconnected here. And for me, there was such a need for the emotional connection to him because for me, intimacy without or sex without intimacy feels like rape. And that's how it feels to many women. When there's no intimacy and you're just doing things and going through the motion, you're feeling empty and that hole gets bigger and bigger. So it was important and Hassani began to see this when I made that statement that you declitorized me because I no longer felt like a woman. I, never, I no longer felt that feminine connection that there was something that he needed to do. And it wasn't that I hadn't been saying it and speaking it and others hadn't been saying it and speaking it, but it was the Lord, really, that, that made the change. And share how that happened. We're going to get there in a second, but she said something very important, and I want all the men to pay attention, that for her, sex was emotional, not just physical. And men and women are wired differently. From being, for, for men, like, we don't need to necessarily be, you know, connected emotionally to have the desire and to engage in sex with our spouse. But women need that, typically speaking. So what we find is that men want their wives to be the best lover inside the bedroom, but wives want their husbands to be the best lover outside the bedroom. So oftentimes her sexual needs aren't sexual at all. They're emotional. 
And so romance is a big part of it. Foreplay is a big part of it. But foreplay is not just physically touching and stimulating your spouse. Foreplay starts at the beginning of the day. It starts when you first wake up. It starts with how you communicate, how you embrace your partner, what you do to accommodate them, how you serve their needs. And so I'm going to give you a quick, let's do a quick demonstration to really allow it to sink in. So uh, this is a marriage seminar, all right, so you could be free. I want every, please, please be free. every man, every man who's sitting next to their wife, okay, if your wife is here, I want you to take your hand and place it on the inner part of her thigh. We married. It's okay. It's all right. It's okay. You're getting nervous already. It's I see right. it. It's okay. All right? Now, what happens is if your hand is there long enough, that sensation will begin to travel. But it travels past her sexual organs all the way up to her emotional headquarters. And so now she's thinking, well, how did you treat me? And how did you talk to me? the heart, y'all. Did you hear what he said? It's because we're not dealing with love, Okay. He said it bypasses everything and goes right up here, past the heart. Now, go ahead. Right. So you're processing how did you treat me and, and, and how were the last few days and, 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 and how do I feel emotionally and all of those different things. And if you did the right thing, if you treated me, if you loved me, then that feeling goes right back to those sexual organs. They become stimulated and she's ready to go. And so oftentimes we could wind up doing all the wrong things in the relationship but still want to get that sex. And so for a lot of women, it's a turnoff. And so the way that you stimulate her and turn her on is not just physical, but it is mental, it is emotional as well. They need that connection. Now, wives, take your hands and put it on the inner thigh of your husband. It's okay. It's all right. <laughs> we are married. All right. If you keep it there for 30 more seconds, we're going to have to cut this seminar short. <laughs> Is that right? Because we don't require. And so it's important to understand how your spouse is wired, right? We always want them to accommodate our needs and do what we want them to do for us, not realizing that love is a giving expression, not a receiving expression. Now, when you operate according to laws, things work. So I'll give you one law. There's something called the law of reciprocal altruism, okay? The law of reciprocal altruism. Sounds like a bit work. But to reciprocate means I do for you, you do for me. Altruism, or to be altruistic, means to do good things, all right? So according to this law, you have organism A, organism B. Organism A will contribute to the life and vitality of organism B, even if it means the loss of its own life and vitality. But it does it with the understanding that organism B will also contribute to the life and vitality of organism A, even if it means the loss of its own. Now, in this system, if both are giving but losing in the process, no one ever loses because they're both operating according to the same system. So they both win. So for me to get from my wife what I desire, I first have to focus on giving and pouring into her because in our marriage, which is very principle-based and law-based, 
and ha we have government that keeps parameters in place so that we're operating according to something where we both win. As long as I give, I don't have to worry about what I quote-unquote am losing because I never lose because she's always giving to me. And when we both do that, we both win. The problem is most of us are waiting for the person to do something first. Well, when you do something, then I'm going to do something. Well, if you act right, then I'm going to act right. And it's very tit for tat, and we go back and forth, and that's how we get into all of these power struggles rather than coming together based upon principle and becoming power couples. And so just basic tweaks and adjustments in your marriage can shift the trajectory that your marriage is on. Does that make sense? It's quiet in here, but hopefully somebody's getting that something. Means listening. But what was what I was supposed to comment on something? I wanted you to bring bring it full circle. How you got to where you? Where, ah. How do we get to where yeah, we yeah, are? Yeah, yeah, you yeah, told yeah. them yeah, that buddy. you were critical and judgmental, uh -huh. and nobody can believe that. So it, it came to the point where Danielle was just like, you know what? I'm done. I'm good. You do you, cause I'ma do me. Now what she said that I'm like, oh snap! Yeah. I'm in trouble now. So even if she stayed in the marriage, I knew what path we were going down because it was over. There was nothing between us. And it was that statement that helped me realize if I don't do something now, even if she stays, I'm going to lose her forever. How many know there are people who are legally married, but then there are people who are still in their marriage that are emotionally and socially I'm sorry, let me repeat. There are people who are legally married, and then those who are legally divorced, right? So people get divorces all the time. But how do we know you could be divorced in your marriage? You can experience an emotional or social divorce yet still married. And so we have these public weddings, these private marriages, but these secret separations. And so to the outside world, it appears that everything's all well, but secretly we're living two separate lives. That's where we were on the verge of. And so it was at that moment that I said, I got to do whatever it takes to save this marriage. Because, ladies, let me tell you something. Men and women are motivated by two different things. Women generally are motivated by the hope of a future gain, right? So I'm motivated by the hope of what things can possibly be, and I'm looking at his potential, and I'm praying, and I'm talking to my other sisters, and I'm staying in there because I believe things can turn around. That's what motivates women. Generally speaking, men are motivated by the fear of loss. So if I fear that I may lose my wife and lose my marriage, I'm now then motivated to do something to save it. Now, that motivation to save my marriage causes me to then focus on my relationship. Now, marriage, relationship, two separate things. Your relationship speaks to your companionship. That's your emotional connection. That's the sexual fulfillment. Speaking each other's love language, meeting each other's emotional needs. That's the heartfelt connection, companionship, relationship. Marriage is more of the institution, right? It's the delegation of responsibilities. It's the management of the home. It's how we raise our children. It's our finances. It's, it's, it's all the benefits, if you will, if the marriage is in place that you receive from the relationship. A lot of women want the relationship within the marriage. A lot of men want the marriage regardless of whether the relationship is good or not. And so... I was motivated to save my marriage, which means I had to reconnect and establish rapport in my relationship. So I started reading books. We got a system that walked us through our own personal intensive, where we did deep, 
dive research and, and counseling and coaching, and we had this entire program that guided us through a, a, a process. And so what we realized is that even though we needed to work on our marriage, really the key of it all was working on ourselves. That as long as I was trying to fix the marriage, what I was really trying to do was fix her because I made her responsible in my mind for everything that was wrong with the marriage. But when I decided to look internally and I began to realize that I am the lowest common denominator in every relationship I enter into, and I begin to work on me and change things within me. I made an internal vow within my mind, within my heart, never to criticize Daniel again. Now, I did in my mind, but I would not form my lips to even utter, utter a criticism. That began the process of my personal recovery because if I went from always criticizing her to never verbally doing it, to then slowly but surely changing my perspective and looking at her through different lenses, not those critical lenses, but I began to look at her the way God would look at her. And I had a different mindset, and, but that was based upon my own individual transformation that I had to go through. And when I became the best version of myself, the marriage naturally benefited. Yes, and Mammy, that's worthy of a little bit of applause. <laughs> And the reason why I say that is because we think that we can't change, and we say this all the time, he'll never change, she'll never change. But change is possible. And I remember that season and thinking, whatever. You know, he would come and sit next to me, and he would say, let's watch these videos. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to watch it, but I'm not listening. And you kept doing it. He kept coming with new content and changing. And I began to believe in him again because I had lost belief. You know, when you get married, a lot of times women, we, what Hassani said is so true, we start to see the seed before the seed is even developed, right? It's like there's some potential in this man, and I feel that I have, I'm assigned to help develop that potential, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick it out. But after a while, when things start going awry, you begin to lose faith, and I had lost faith. But when he kept coming, and he was relentless, and he wouldn't give up on me, and he wouldn't give up on the marriage... Slowly but surely, I began to believe again. And when I believed again, then I got on board, and that's when we started to see a huge transformation in our marriage. And so this is an excellent lesson. So a lot of times when people come to us for counseling or intensives or whatever the case may be, they're not both on the same page. They don't both want the same thing. Usually someone is tuned out, they're done, they're like, whatever, and then the other person is really motivated. And I want to encourage you that if you're in that situation now, all it takes is one person to initiate the process. And if you're consistent enough and if you don't give up caving and quit and throw in the towel, eventually you'll begin to see a change and a shift in your relationship. Don't be weary in well-doing. For what? In due season. You shall reap if, uh-oh, here's the condition, if you faint not. And so the question is how bad do you really want what you say that you want? What are you willing to do to get what it is that you say that you want? If you're willing to put in the time and put in the effort, if you're willing to sacrifice, if you're willing, here's the deal. Here's the deal. I shared this with the singles last night in a different context, but I'm going to share it with you. How many of you, by a show of hands, truly want your marriage? You, but you want a successful marriage, right? A mutually beneficial, long-lasting marriage. Okay. So here's the principle. Whatever you say yes to, you have to protect it by surrounding it 
with a whole bunch of no's. I'll say that again. If you're saying yes to your marriage, then you have to protect it by saying no. By, you want to say yes to your marriage, protect it by saying no to a whole lot of things that may distract or get in the way of the union that you're trying to establish. And I think that oftentimes when we come into relationships, we bring a lot of stuff with us, not just baggage, not just, but sometimes we bring, I don't know, we, whatever it may be, whatever is a distraction and gets in the way of this becomes a problem because this right here is the primary relationship. Everything else is secondary to this. Because at the end of the day, I got to come home to this. I got to sleep with this. I got to raise children here. I have a future here. So I'm not going to com- compromise the integrity of this relationship because I'm allowing other things that I've said yes to to get in the way of this. Now, with balance, we understand that even though we're one, right, there's still levels of freedom in our relationship. I mean, I still have a life outside of my marriage with my wife. I still have dear friends outside of the relationship that I have with my wife. This is over. And so one of the things that we do, we have something called the hub and spoke support model. So if you think about a wheel on a car, you've got the hub in the middle and the spokes that come outside of that hub. Well, if you place you and your spouse inside the hub, what are the spokes of support that surround your marriage that contribute to it as opposed to take away from it? So I'll just give you one example. It's important to have individuals in your life that support you and support your relationship. In essence, friends of the marriage. If I have individuals in my life who, not, who are not living a life that is suitable for me to be associated with because maybe they're in, they, they lack integrity, they're not doing the right thing, or they're just, they just have a completely different lifestyle. Being around them long enough, it can start to impact me individually and in the marriage. But surrounding yourself with other couples who have a desire for great relationship and who exhibit it uh, on a natural basis, on a normal basis, that's who you, who you want to be around. So here we are. You know, I've been in Africa now for two weeks. First week in Nigeria, had a blast. And so this week we're here in South Africa to be with you, but we're also celebrating, you know, our anniversary that's coming up. My wife's birthday is coming up. And so whoever we connect with, we want to make sure that they are people who will positively feed into us and keep us on the right track. So relationships are critical. So we came with a couple today, John and Portia Scott. They are very dear friends of us. Now, they have an amazing relationship. And so we glean and learn from one another. There are things that they may possibly, I don't know, learn from us occasionally, but there are things that we definitely learn from them. And so they support this. And so because we said yes to this, we easily could say yes to that because it reinforces this yes. Does that make sense? So your relationships are so critically important and other things you do to keep you anchored in your marriage. Absolutely. And just we have to be mindful that we rid ourselves of those relationships that are counterproductive to this model because all, a lot of us have our girlfriends and our, you know, our corner that supports us in the actions that we do that aren't necessarily positive for our marriage. You know, we all have those girlfriends that we tell all our business to when things aren't going right with our husband and then we regret it after the fact when we're on the mend. How many times have you said something that you know you should not have said, and then that person can't get over it? 
because they don't have the heart connection that you do. So when you go tell your mama and your daddy what your husband did or what your wife did, when you guys go to Couples Academy to get healed and everything is right, they're still mad. So we just have to be very careful about who we tell, what we tell, and make sure that we have a very strong network of a community around us that can support our marriage. Is, is this making sense? Is this helping out? Because these are the challenges that we go through. And if we have, and see, this is where and we're kind of tiptoeing through a, a few different things because we want the real meat to come out in the Q&A. But I'm going to tell you something. If there's any principle, if there's any law that you should have to govern your relationship, it is the power or the law of agreement. The Bible says, can two walk together unless they be in agreement? And I know a lot of couples who operate on, a, well, you know, we're we just going to agree to disagree. And that becomes the DNA of their relationship. And so you have two individuals who just disagree on everything, you know. And so because they disagree on everything, it creates tension, stress, and challenges in the relationship that separate them. And so it's important to make sure that you are like-minded. You know, when we talk about couples, right, who are not married yet, when they go through the seasons of a successful relationship, the dating season, committed courtship, engagement, and marriage, that committed courtship season is the time that you take to really get to know the person to see if you have the right foundation. But you never stop learning about your partner because when you say, I do, you're going to have to learn your partner all over again because you're in a new season of life. And so if Danielle at 20, what were you, 23 when I met you, 23, 24, something like that, Danielle at 23 is different than Danielle at 41. She's a different person. And so, therefore, I have to learn her all over again. I have to see who she is today versus then. And if I hold on to 23-year-old Danielle as a 41-year-old woman, we're going to have problems and complications. And so it's important to grow with your partner. It's important to learn along the way with your partner. A principle that we believe in is this. Become a student of your spouse. So I went to Rutgers University in New Jersey. I got my degree, right? I've always been, after getting my degree, someone who had a thirst and a passion for knowledge. And so I can speak intelligently on a number of different topics. But how many of us are experts at things in the world, but we're completely ignorant when it comes to our spouse? Because we've been living our life by remote control, not paying attention, not investing the time, not taking the time to really understand who our spouse is. And so as a result of that, we're disconnected. And if you don't know your spouse, listen, ignorance will guarantee that abuse is inevitable. So many of us are in abusive relationships because we're ignorant of the person that we're in the relationship with. And so just like when you buy something, it usually comes with, a manual. It comes with a guide. And usually there are warranties and guarantees built into it. And it says, listen, if you read this manual, it will give you instructions on how effectively to use this particular product that you're purchasing. Well, you may say, well, when I got married, my wife didn't come with a manual. So I'm trying to figure this thing out. Well, the Bible is the manual. I heard someone said that 
Christians typically are biblically illiterate to everything the, uh, the, uh, in terms of the discussion of marriage. So from Genesis to Revelations, there's so much in the Word that speaks to relationship and union and marriage. But if we're ignorant of the Word and how a marriage should effectively function, and if we're ignorant of one another, then we're going to have a very problematic, toxic relationship. So it really starts with this connection here taking the time to learn them. So I have something called the Book of Danielle. It's a notebook. And everything I learn about her, I write in this book, the good and the bad. Oh, yes, there's a whole lot of bad. <clears throat> I, need, I need to know the bad because, listen, I need to know what not to do. I need to know what buttons not to push. I need to know how to approach so we have something that works. What we use is something called our, our pillow talk activity. Now, this is interesting. When you're not married and you're single and dating and you're engaging when you shouldn't be, we, young folks never have a problem getting nude with each other. They'll get naked. They'll have sex. They'll do everything. They want it. But they're not married. It's not legal for them, right? But they don't become intimately vulnerable. They don't know much about each other. They don't share deep details because they're just not there yet. But then we get married, and we start covering up when it's time to go to bed. We got the bonnet on. We got the muumuu on down to the floor. Like, we don't make it we, – we become the opposite of what we were when we were dating. And so this pillow talk um, process that we go through is really a moment where we get nude, butt naked, in the bed, and we go through a list of questions. Because to Hassani's point, you know you change and become somebody new every seven years. Do you know that biologically you're somebody new? And so if Hassani is operating based on the old Danielle and I'm operating based on the old Hassani, we're really going to be misaligned and unsatisfied in many areas. So we go through this pillow talk activity and answer these questions openly and honestly while we're nude, and that's how Hassani gets the answers to his, his uh, book of Danielle, and that's how I get my answers for my book of Hassani, because we need to stay on top of who our spouse is. We're constantly changing. So what she's saying, gentlemen, if, if, or ladies, actually, if you want to motivate your man to talk, get naked. <laughs> and have great conversation. And he'll be very vulnerable. <laughs> he'll be very vulnerable. You better believe it. Does this make sense? Is this helping? Okay, so what we're going to do, because we've just run out of time, uh, we're going to take a break. Uh, we're going to engage in some phenomenal uh, breakfast food, and then we're going to come back for the Q&A portion of our session. And so once again, if you have questions regarding what we've spoken about, or if you have a question that has absolutely nothing to do with what was shared today, because you came here with a concern on your heart, write it down, because we can address what we are not made aware of. So we want to turn this into a group counseling session so that we all get the therapy we need to go back home and have something more. Amen? Was this helpful? Yeah, I was going to say, just make sure that you make sure that you do write those questions down and don't be afraid because the questions that you ask, somebody else needed to hear too. A lot of times with the married couples, people are very shy and they're, they want to cover their – go ahead and cover your, hand, your paper if you're writing, but make sure you get these questions in so that we can help everybody in the room. So our sister over here has a um, clear glass pot. And so during breakfast, write those questions down and make sure you give it to her so it gets in the pot. We want to have a chance to review it a little bit before we get started. All right, enjoy your breakfast, guys. All right, so one thing we know, as we said earlier, community is important. 
So if you really want to take your relationships to the next level, connecting with other couples really helps to reinforce what it is you're looking for in your marriage. But we have a, a lot of great questions. Um, I believe we have, <clears throat> I'm going to have to put my clock on, about 45 minutes. We want to be as concise as we can so we get to as many questions as possible. So what we're going to do is dive right in. So, Daniel. What or how did each of you deal with the hard truth when you had to realize that there are things about yourself that had to change? The pain of the truth and not knowing how you would change your character. That's a good one. Um, well, for me, uh, the process that Hassani and I went through was very um, detail-oriented, meaning we had to go into the history of our family and really talk about things that were very private and intimate and hurtful and in some ways embarrassing to reveal certain things. Like I had to really fully expose my past, my, my personal past, and my family past. And as a result of that and him doing the same, it really gave me a certain level of empathy towards him because of the characteristics that I saw that were offensive to me. Um, I began to understand where they came from and realized that, wow, this was given to him just like the way he walks and just like the way he talks and his voice and how he looks. That was given to him. And so it, it helped in that way, but it also helped us to recognize, oh, hold on, like this was given to me and, and I don't want it. And so when you become conscious about your issues, then you can make a conscious decision to do something different. Yeah, and I think um, we had some real conversations earlier in our marriage, which was critically important. But even along the way, like <clears throat> after we got our, our relationship together and we began to pursue to do this professionally and got trained and, and, and we got all types of of um, certifications and things of that nature, we always wanted to continue to work on our relationship. You know, we know that there are couples that exist that do a great job of telling you what you need to do, but behind closed doors, they are a wreck. And we wanted to make sure that we didn't want to be one of those couples, so we would constantly engage in classes and, um, I guess, not group therapy, that wouldn't be the correct term, but really enrichment classes and courses that really impacted our relationship. And in those things, it would help to take our relationship to the next level because it pulled back yet another layer and another layer. And so questions or conversations that we wouldn't even think of engaging into, the class allowed there to be an atmosphere for those conversations to take place. So never stop investing in your marriage. Don't think this is enough. This is just a appetizer uh, of what you need to continue to do to really be able to reach higher heights in your relationship. How do you negate a marriage or navigate a marriage with a blended family resulting in a lot of tension with dealing with the kids from both sides of the relationship? Yeah, so that happens very frequently with couples. And it goes back to kind of what I said before in terms of establishing principles and creating proper boundaries by which you govern the relationship. One thing we have seen is that a lot of times the children or the extended family get in the midst of the couple and can pull that couple apart. Children know how to manipulate a couple if they realize that they're not on the same page. So I say the best way to deal with your children Here's the principle, and then I'll explain it. Partners first, parents second, all right? So if you're dealing with your own children or stepchildren, 
partners first, then parents, how you parent your children second. Or if you're dealing with in-laws, partners first, parents second. If that's the principle and you two are connected and on one accord, then to me that's where it starts to solve the blended family issues in a relationship. When they realize that you are on a united front and we are coming together and we're not going to be partial to my biological child versus yours, but they are all ours together and we will love on them and govern things accordingly, you create the right foundation for the relationship to thrive, if, if that makes sense. Now, you could literally spend half a day really digging deep into the layers of you know, blended families and the challenges that take place. But at the end of the day, it's about us being on one accord in terms of how we love and govern that, the, the children in the relationship. Mm-hmm. How many times do we have to have sex in a day, in a week, in a month? How do we balance how we feed our sex appetite? Wow. <laughs> We're getting into it real early. Okay. So here's the thing that we have to acknowledge is that you and your spouse may have different sex drives, right? We know this is true. Yes? Okay, we didn't, I didn't ask you to identify yourself, but let's just acknowledge the truth. And so as a result of that, you, you, you have to accommodate each other's need, right? So what Hassani and I have had to do, because I don't have the same sex drive as his, mine is lower than his, right? So what we have had to do is to put a schedule together. That's what worked for us. Now, I have heard people say, oh, a schedule, that is so not romantic. That's not to say that you only can have sex on your scheduled days, but you know that you are not going to miss sex on your scheduled days. And let's take it a step further. So there's a couple, right, that we counseled. The woman had a very, very, very high sex drive. She wanted sex five, six times a week. The husband had a very low sex drive. He wanted sex once a month. Problem, right? So we had to negotiate through something as a first step. Now, this wasn't the ultimate solution, but it was a first step that led to another and then a third that took them on a journey. So what we said was, why don't we come together, okay, and why don't we schedule this, right? And how about we have two days a week to start. One day is a sexual day. That involves penetration, so that's the expectation, sex. But the other day is a sensual day. If it leads to sex, great. But if it doesn't, there's no expectation for it, but yet and still we're able to come together and connect. Listen, when couples stop touching, generally it's an indication that there's a problem in the relationship. And so you have to create habits that work in favor of your union. And even outside of penetration, penis and vagina, this is a marriage seminar. I hope you're not... Uh, intimidated by these words. Outside of penetration, you have to touch on a regular basis. We know that studies will prove that babies require a lot of touch. In extreme cases, if a baby doesn't receive enough touch, they can die. They can literally die. And so if 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 a child comes out of the womb with a high desire for touch, how much more is there a high desire and need for physical intimacy within the confines of a relationship. And I think also, once again, understanding how we're wired, you can motivate your spouse to want to uh, have more sex and increase their drive by knowing how they are wired 
and think about it. As men, a lot of us, unfortunately, learned about sex through pornography, learned about it in the street, and so we bring that mentality into the bedroom, and it doesn't work or vibe with our spouse. I mean, statistics suggest that the more porn you watch, the worse as a lover you become. Because if you think about it, pornography is nothing more than a woman pleasing a man. Pornography is created by men. It's fascination sex. It's orgasms in 2.3 seconds. The wife is hot, or the woman, not the wife. The woman is ready to go. There's no romance. There's no foreplay. There's no lovemaking. It's just hardcore penetration. So if that is what I'm influenced by, I bring it into my marriage, and it just doesn't work. But when I learn how to love my wife and it's mutually beneficial and pleasing to her, it creates her desire to want to have more physical intimacy. Amen? It's quiet, but... It sure is quiet. This one is a good one. Okay. At what point does it become urgent to seek professional counseling? Uh, when you feel that it's urgent. <laughs> to receive professional counseling. One thing we notice is that men and women have a different internal relationship clock or meter. And so if you would if I would have asked each of you as a couple individually, I said, rate your marriage on a scale of one to ten, one being the least, ten being the most. Generally speaking, in most cases, men have a very high their number is much higher than a woman's number. So a man may say, Oh, it's an eight, it's great. Then you ask that woman and she's just like, uh uh-uh, uh, it's a four, uh-huh. right? So two different realities, and I kind of look at it like this. If you've ever been on a roller coaster before, anybody ever been on a roller coaster? Okay. So you and your wife could be in the, or husband could be in the front or the back, wherever you are, side by side. You're on the same journey, same twists and turns, same length of time. You both get off at the same time, but both of you had two completely different experiences. One is a thrill seeker and ready to get back in that and go for a second ride. The other one says, that is a death trap. I'm never getting on that machine again. <clears throat> and so we can, be, uh, we can have the same journey in life but two completely different experiences. So while you're thinking it's all, it's all good, your spouse is hurting on the inside. And so whoever feels worse in the relationship, the attention and the focus should be placed upon where they're at. And if it requires counseling, even if you don't want to do it, even if you don't think there's a need to do it, you need to do it. And generally speaking, men are the ones that fuss, fight, uh, and, and will do whatever they can to avoid counseling. And counseling, to be honest, creates a space of safety for men that many of them have never had in their marriage. And so the very thing that they're fighting against may be the very thing that may be the biggest advocate for him as well as for them. So don't wait until you are bleeding and gushing with blood and about to die, metaphorically, to receive counseling. You can do counseling as a checkup. And guess what? Counseling is a term that has such a negative stigma and connotation to it. So flip it. Get a coach. Every great athlete on the planet has a coach to make them better. So if you can have a physical fitness coach, if you can have a business coach, if you can have a financial coach, why not have a marriage coach to take it to the next level? Does that make sense? Go ahead. Sometimes after a long day from work, you just want to disconnect with the world, and I do that by playing FIFA or watching YouTube videos. Is this such a bad thing? Well, I think that it's, I don't think it's a bad, I don't know what FIFA is, so I can't say whether or not that's a bad, good or bad thing. But what I can say is that there needs to be balance brought to it if the spouse, it sounds like this is a man's thing to come home and disconnect from the world. 
Okay, and so, yeah, okay. And so in that case, you have to learn to bring balance to that situation because your wife is wanting to pull some attention from you. It sounds like you're away. You've had a long day away. Men only have a certain amount of words. Y'all don't speak as much as we do. So by the time you get home, you are done talking. You just want to veg your brain out, watching FIFA and YouTube. And there's nothing wrong with that. But how you can bring balance to that is you might invite her with you or express to her that you do need some quiet time before you engage with her because she's going to have a zillion things to say to you. She wants to tell you everything that happened in the day with her, her girlfriends, and the children, and all that stuff because that feeds her emotional need. And so just like she's going to support your emotional need for quiet time, you have to support her emotional need to express herself and connect with you verbally. So I think it really just means that there needs to be some balance brought to it and you set aside some time for you and then make sure you include her. Excellent answer. And and, and also I will say, generally speaking, you know, men come home from work, a long day of work, and to your point, we, we just need a break. Like, just give us 20 minutes, a half hour. Let us Let us unwind. Let us... I need to clear my mind. I, 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 you, right, right, right. <laughs> I don't want to deal with the. I don't want to deal with the kids, and I don't want to deal with the bill. Like, just give me peace. But on the flip side, that woman comes home from a long day of work, and as soon as she steps one foot in front of inside the door, she now picks up her second shift. Come on now, ladies. She's got the duties, the responsibilities, yes. the obligations. She's cooking. She's cleaning. She's doing homework. She's train watching well, baths. <laughs> She's doing all of this stuff, wearing so many different hats. And so it's been said that men typically get the benefits of marriage and women get the burdens of marriage when it comes to duties and responsibilities in the home. And if, there's a phenomenal book entitled uh, The Superior Wife Syndrome, and it talks about how so many wives are playing the superior role, the dominant role, and how so many husbands are playing the role of incompetence in the relationship. And so all of the duties and responsibilities fall on her, which creates an imbalance. Now, interestingly enough, when dealing with divorce, who do you think initiates divorce, men or women? It's women. Seventy percent of all divorces are initiated by a woman. Seventy percent. Because they're frustrated. They're frustrated. They're overwhelmed. They're burdened. We know that women face a high level of depression after they say, I do. Do you know statistically that more women drink after they get married than those who drink before they get married? More men drink before they get married than after they get married. So, so men benefit health-wise from marriage. A lot of women, if there's imbalance in the relationship, suffer. So if men learn how to pick up the slack and to engage more in the process and the management of the home, then she won't mind you playing video games, watching YouTube, invest this, that, and the other, because you're still an individual and you have your own time to yourself to enjoy life. And she doesn't feel that that's a form of competition if you show up the right way in the household. Amen? All right. How do you handle family? brothers and sisters, relationships that have more connections emotionally than your marriage, i.e., if husband is too close to his sisters and mother? Well, listen, 
there's three types of relationships. You know, some relationships are for a reason, other are for a season, and other are for a lifetime. Now, obviously, if you're dealing with family, parents, siblings, things of that nature, those are lifetime relationships. Those will never go away, and they never should go away. The love, the commitment, the compassion, the connection should never die. But when you say, I do, this becomes your primary relationship, and so the nature of those relationships must shift and change so that they are not prioritized more than the one you have with your spouse. And we've seen this happen. That's probably one of the biggest mistakes and challenges that couples face when they first uh, get married, and it extends beyond I do into years into their relationship where I, I've had men come to me and say, I have no voice in my marriage that if anything is done, she goes to her father first. She goes to her mother. She goes to her siblings. So I have no voice. I have no significance. I have no role to play. I just feel like I'm just here. And that's a horrible feeling to have in a relationship. And women can often feel that way as well. So prioritizing this, knowing that everything else comes secondary, then I don't feel threatened by your relationship with your family. Does that make sense? That, that, that's an important principle to hold on to because a lot of couples struggle with that because they didn't learn it. So partners first, parents, cousins, siblings, whatever, second. Not sure if this is possible or normal to forget why you fell in love with someone and feeling like you have married the wrong person. What can you do in such, I guess, a case, such, such a case? Um, so the question is, is it normal or possible? Yes. We just talked about that whole idea of falling in love with someone and then you discover who they are, all those layers of your onion get unpeeled, and then there's a disconnect. And if you are feeling like, I don't even know, I don't even like this person, I have no passion for this person anymore, then it is time for you to find a way to get back on the road to recovery because you're disconnected. Falling out of love is exactly what we did. We fell out of love. We started focusing on other things. We, weren't, we didn't even like each other. I remember being in our apartment, and I'd be cooking dinner, and he would walk by me, and I would be like, you know, like trying my best to avoid any kind of physical contact because I just didn't like him. So you can get to the point where you dislike the person, don't even love the person in your marriage, but you can restore it, and you just need to find those those, a way to get back. According to uh, The Five Love Languages by Gary Chapman in that book, he says that the average couple, um, the in-love feeling that they had that initiate the relationship withers and wanes and dies off after two years. And so in that book, he talks about five love languages. Uh, in, in essence, saying that love is, or how you walk love out, it's a skill that you can develop. Just like communication is a skill. Sex is a skill. Forgiveness is a skill. It is all something that you can develop throughout the course of your relationship to bring back that connection that was lost. And as long as you're putting in the work, because guess what? A marriage is spelled W-O-R-K. It requires work. And oftentimes it may be hard work. And so it's interesting how we don't mind putting effort and energy and work towards our careers, towards our education, towards our personal goals. But somehow when it comes to our marriage, things are just supposed to work out. Things are just supposed to be easy. Well, that's ridiculous. If it's worth having, then it's worth fighting for and investing in and putting the time, energy, and effort in work. And when you do that, you will receive a harvest for all the seeds that are sown. 
Because I'm going to tell you something, and this is hope for every individual who right now is looking at their spouse or thinking about their spouse saying, I want out, I can't stand you, you get on my nerves, don't touch me, don't even think about it. We were there, but who we are today is completely different than who we were. And so I want to give you hope even through our testimony that you can make it because we made it. I always said once the in-love feeling is gone, it is dead and gone. It cannot be revived. Did I not say that? She's shown us that. My mantra. Because I would be like, it's just euphoria when you get to meet the person. Then when you find out who they really are, then it's like, that's over. That stage is over. But it's not true. You can revive that love. It just takes following certain principles and actually living by those guidelines and those principles. Okay. What do you do if your spouse is always vocal and doesn't want to give you a chance to also voice out your opinions, ideas, take out what is in your chest all the time. Okay. <laughs> um, you know, it could, to me, it, it sounds like it could be a submission issue and maybe a misunderstanding about what submission truly is. Um, you know, a lot of times we're confused about the, what that really means, that if I'm a man and I'm overbearing, I mean, or if I'm a man, I'm the head, I'm the leader, and you do what I say, and that's it. Whatever I say goes. And it was never meant to be, um, you know, it was never meant for a woman to be under a man's thumb necessarily. Submission means a man is submitted to God and a wife is submitted unto her husband. But the Bible does tell us that a woman was given to man to complete him. We are your helpmeet, right? And so a lot of times when you're figuring out what to do in certain situations, when you come to your wife, and you hear her voice, a lot of times what's coming from her is wisdom. And us as the woman having a voice to give and having wisdom and a, a perspective to give, when you receive that from her, it could be the answer to the problem in connection to whatever it is that the Lord was saying to you. And so I think that it could be an issue where maybe there's a submission issue and the husband, if it's a husband, doesn't know yet how to receive from you, so he's shutting you down. And if that's the case, then you just need to figure out, have a conversation and figure out what's really going on there. Uh, oftentimes, occasionally, I will send a, uh, a public message out to the world, really celebrating my wife for her brilliance, for her wisdom, for her insight, for her ability to intellectualize certain things or see things from different angles and perspectives that I couldn't. And if I uh, really participate in independent decision-making, and I just make a decision for the household without consulting her, I don't realize the negative impact that it's going to have on her, that it's going to have on our children, that it's going to have on our finances, because I was so big-headed that I said, I'm the man, I could do it all myself. And oftentimes I run into dead ends attempting to do that. And so if I truly believe that, that marriage is God's secret weapon for kingdom domination in the earth realm, and I realize that she is my partner and we are heirs together in this thing called life. And I look at her as a partner, not as, and I look at her as a help meet and not the help. See, there's a difference. If I look at her as the help, someone that I can hire to do menial tasks, then I don't give her the value that she deserves. But God formed, shaped, and designed her before the foundation of the earth, had her in mind that she would be sculpted and crafted for me because God knew what I needed. He knew my, uh, deficiencies. He knew my weaknesses. And when she sort of become the strength to the things that I'm weak at. And so when we come together, you don't see any of our weaknesses. All you see is strength because we're aligned. And so I had to get to the place where I valued her tremendously. And so 
when it comes to submission, yes, the order of the home, God, Christ, man, the wife, the children, that's the order. But submission is not a gender-specific thing. Just as women are required to submit to their higher authority, a man is required to submit to his higher authority. And I'm going to tell you something. From my experience and from what I know, a woman wouldn't have a problem submitting to a man if that man was truly submitted to his God. If, if, if I can trust the God that's in you, then I can, in essence, trust you. But, but the reality is men don't submit. But in life, all we do is submit. If you've ever been an athlete, you've had to submit to who? The coach. If you were ever a student, you had to submit to who? The teacher. A member of this church, you have to submit to who? The pastor. So submission is not something that is foreign to us as men. However, when it gets to marriage, we're not willing to truly submit to God and allow him to lead, guide, and steer us in our relationship, and that's why we wind up in a dead end. So when we come together, right, both fully submitted, this thing works out. If you reach an impasse in your relationship and things are just not working, you're struggling with a decision, then that's when you can then go to the word, which should be final authority in your life to govern your life accordingly. Fine. There's still an issue because you interpret differently than mine. Then you find a marriage mentor, another couple that you esteem, that you think has wisdom, and that both of you can submit to their wisdom bring it back into your relationship to negotiate through a solution that you both benefit from. So there's many things that you can do. A system of accountability will allow you to overcome the issue of submission. Also, if it's not a submission issue, because I'm reading into this because it's, it's not, it's, there's not a lot of information, it could be a woman as well that is, that is cutting off her husband and not letting him express his heart because it says, you know, he's all, this person is always shut down and can't get their words off their chest. Um, they're not allowed to be have a voice. And so there are makers of men and there are breakers of men. And if we women know what our assignment is and that, that our job is to speak life into the seed that's in that man, right, to grow up the, the good crop because all of us have weeds and we all have seeds in us that, are, that can produce weeds that will choke out a good crop, and then we have those seeds that got planted in us that were meant to develop that thing in that man that is his purpose and calling. So as a woman, if all we're doing is cutting him off and shutting him down and being negative and cutting him off at the past, then we're really destroying that seed that's within him. He's not even able to express himself. So we have to learn to be makers of men and allow our men to voice their, uh, their what's going on with them and express themselves and find a way to be, have a meeting of the minds. I think it, it could go both ways. Absolutely. Okay. How much is enough... In a newly married couple. What? How much is enough? I don't even know. What, I don't couple? even know what that means. Does anybody know what that means? So freestyle it. I'm confused. I can't. Okay. <laughs> I don't know what that means. How much is enough? Love? How, much, How is much, enough? much is enough? Sex. How much is enough? Okay. Fun. Play? I think it depends on the couple. Every couple is different. You have to really understand what your your partner's desires and needs are, and I think through more conversation. See, I, I can't look at another couple and say, listen, I want what they have because what we have is uniquely different. You want the best relationship that you can have for yourself based upon the dynamics. Now, you can be inspired by other couples, right? There are things that you can look at and say, wow, I like how they do this. But how does that work for you in your relationship, right? So whatever enough is, as long as it's mutually beneficial and you're in agreement, then you've reached enough. Having communication problems, when we having problems since we 
I think it's saying, are a quiet couple. I added to that, but right? That makes sense. How do we resolve that, that we're a quiet couple and we're having communication problems? Or how do you resolve communication problems? That's a, yeah. Okay. Um, well, really quickly, real, real two-minute communication course, there's three components of communication. Number one, your words, what you say. Number two, your tonality, how you say what you say. Number three, your facial expressions and body language. Your words are 7% of your communication. Your tonality, 23% of your communication. Your facial expressions and body language, 70% of your communication. Oftentimes, there are so many issues in the relationship that we can never get to. Why? Because we're interrupted and hijacked by our communication style. And then now that becomes the issue. I don't like how you said what you said, and I don't like the way you look and the way your body is postured. You just give off the, the negative energy, and we're never able to get to the real issue. That's why there's so many unresolved issues in relationships. And so if we just learn how to effectively communicate, because your tone gives a message. Your body language gives a message which may not be consistent with your words. So simple. I could be like, I love you. But what message was communicated in that? Frustration, agitation, annoyance. So the messaging conflicted with the words. So we have to make sure that everything is in alignment when we talk so that we're able to effectively resolve issues without struggle. And then last point, there's something called the marriage negotiation worksheet where you negotiate through issues in your marriage to have something that's mutually beneficial. Typically, we're taught that compromise is the key to a successful relationship. But compromise is a curse word that you should never use because compromise means that someone wins and someone loses. Uh, losing in my relationship to accommodate my wife who's constantly winning, at some point I'm frustrated and I just want to go rogue. I can't take it anymore. But if we have something that's mutually beneficial that we both benefit from, then we can negotiate all day, all night long because we both ultimately win. So communication is critical to resolving any issue. How do you maintain the priority of marriage when life mm -hmm. gets busy? Well, I'll start and you can finish because one thing that we struggled with is the busyness of our lives. I have four children. They're all stair-step, 14, 13, 10, and 8, okay? And what we do causes us to have to travel a lot. And so we have struggled with, and this links back to what I was saying before about scheduling sex, <laughs> because when you are traveling a lot and you've got four children and you've got house to keep and you're running other business and you're dealing with clients and stuff like that, all of your personal stuff can get thrown by the wayside. And so what we have had to do is we created a color-coded calendar. And this, we have it, we can send it to you. It's really important, especially for entrepreneurs. I learned this idea from a business coach. I think we both did. And what we do is it doesn't matter how tired we are because guess what? We get tired when it, we have to run our children around, but we do it, don't we? We get tired having to go to work and get up at 6 in the morning, but we do it. So in the same vein, we have to do what is required to maintain our marriage. And so what we have is this color-coded calendar that prioritizes everything. Yes, sex, even though that might sound sterile, but it's on the calendar and it has to get done. Family time. 
Yeah, you can actually end up not having quality family time because you're so busy. That is on the calendar. Everything's on the calendar. Chores, date night is on the calendar. So what I would say is that the way that you avoid, um, you know, the way that you do not um, end up not prioritizing your family and your spouse is by scheduling it. Yeah, and we have uh, date night every single week, but outside of that one night to date, we have time that we spend in the home together, separate from technology, separate from the kids, even if it's just cuddling on a couch, watching a TV show or a movie, or engaging in conversation. We'll read books together, we'll play games together, we'll watch YouTube videos together. Togetherness is really what's key. And here's the deal. If you think about 24 hours in a day, the majority of your day is spent at work. Would you agree? Like if you work an eight, ten-hour shift. So there's a difference between quality and quantity. So my work may get the quantity of my time in terms of hours. My children, truth be told, as a family, there's more time that we spend as a family than we do as a couple. But we're not competing with family or competing with work because we prioritize our union. So even if we only get one hour in this 24-hour cycle. We are so fully invested in the hour. We are so present. We're not just engaging in physical proximity, because that's what most couples do. We, we, we're in physical proximity of one another. We're both on the couch. But you're on your computer. I'm on my phone. We're in two different worlds. We don't have togetherness. So togetherness is when our attention is either on each other or on the same thing, and we're both connected and engaged. And as long as you're doing that, you are going to win. Yeah, and, and just to clarify, there's a place for all of that, right, because we certainly do get on the couch, and I'm on a computer, and he's on his, and we work together. That's true. That. We do that. But that is not quality time. Exactly. That's you doing one thing and him doing something else together, but that's not quality time. So we make sure to prioritize that time. Okay. So I want, so I want to know how to move forward and accept the fact that I had to find out on my own that my husband has two kids before me and didn't tell me before we got married. See, the answer, the answer to that goes back to the other question. When do you know that you need counseling? Right now. Right now is when you need counseling because these are issues you just can't work out on your own. Real quick example. Anybody ever been on a plane before? Yes? Okay, one thing that's interesting about planes, I had a great conversation with a pilot. When a plane lifts off of the ground, 90% of its journey is off course, 90%. So I'm like, well, how does it, like if I'm leaving New York going to L.A., how does it get to L.A.? He says, well, there's a radar system in the cockpit that's constantly guiding that plane, changing its coordinates, making sure it stays in a certain latitude, longitude line. So there are course corrections constantly being made along the journey to get to the final destination. The challenge is, Many of us want to solve our problems on our own, and when we attempt to do that, 90% of our journey is off course. Even with the best of intentions, the road to hell has been paved with good intentions. And so that's why you need a professional counselor or a marriage mentor or a spiritual pastor, someone who can help become the navigation system to help you course correct to get you on the path of recovery to get you to your final destination. So sometimes you can have issues in your relationship that are just too deep, too complex to be able to do it on your own. You need someone else. And when you remove ego and pride and become vulnerable to another person or a system that can help your marriage, you can overcome almost anything. 
that you face in your marriage, even something like secret children. That's a ser- that's a that is that can be perceived as a huge betrayal. Huge betrayal. And you talk about the amount of pain that a person will wallow in for a year. Because if you introduce to me, and I had to discover on my own that you have two children that you never told me about, not only do I question that situation, but I question everything we've ever had since day one. I don't even know who you are. How do I recover from that? It's only through the grace of God, through prayer and professional help that can guide you through that process. Now, truth be told, I'm sorry, it generally takes up to two years to heal from any type of betrayal if you're receiving constant assistance and help along the way. Two years. So this idea, listen, you now know, get over it, let's just move on, is disgusting. It's dismissive. It's poison and suicide to your marriage. You knew about those children 10, 15, 20 years ago. Your spouse found out about those children two days ago. So it's going to take them time and a process of healing to get into that place. Does that make sense? Yeah. Having all the wisdom and knowledge about relationships, do you still run into problems, challenges? Do you guys, no, do, do you... Do you use these tools when the heat is on? Thank you for your wisdom. Well, let me just tell you, Hassani and I have our own counselor. We, when we have issues, we run to the counselor, just like any of you should. Because we know that is the thing to do to keep everything tuned up, we do it. A lot of the, pro- the, the principles that we teach, we already have as a system in our, in our lives. But what we face as a major challenge is trying to maintain and make kind of being conscious because we're always working in this. And so we have to really always be conscious. Our schedule helps us a lot because we continue to date. But, of course, we go through struggles. We had uh, recently had to um, call our counselor because of things from the past, because there's always past stuff. To your point, what he talked about, um, years ago, before we even got married, I had to reveal a secret. And I think it's fitting to what you just shared, right? And that secret was when we met, Hassani had told me how many partners he had. And I was like, yeah, me too. But that was a total lie. Okay? And so we went on and we were dating. And I, I'm like, okay, this is getting serious. And I knew it was getting serious. And, I, and the Lord started dealing with me. He's like, you, you need to correct this lie. And I'm like, oh, it's okay. Like, we don't know where this is going. I don't need to, you know, he doesn't need to hear all that. And understand, Hassani came from a church background, like he was raised and bred in the church, and I was not. And so some things I felt like, like, don't need to be told. Like, I don't, he doesn't need to know all that I've gone through and everything that, about my past. That's the past. I'm no longer that person. But historical honesty is critical. And so I, the Lord started dealing, me with, dealing with me with that thing, and I ended up writing a letter and I remember I was, in, I was terrified about writing this letter and actually having to tell him my truth. And so I invited him to my apartment. He sat down, and I read this letter. I didn't even look up. I literally read the letter. Like, I, it was a big piece of paper. Like, my whole face was covered. And I read the letter. And by the time I was finished reading the letter, he was, I saw his back walking out the door. Slammed the door. And I cannot tell you there are no words to express to you the amount of peace and 
calm that came over me like a rushing wind. It was like quenching, like thirst. It was like quenching thirst. The freedom that the truth was out, even though I potentially lost this man that I cared about because he didn't even say a word. He wasn't even trying to have a conversation that I was full of peace. And so that is a testament to how we are wired to release truth. We, when we hold it in, it causes sickness, and we have to release our truth. So, you know, things have, and there have been other things because it was a learning process for me to reveal my past. I mean, I have a lot of stuff that I went through with my family and upbringing, and I had to reveal all that stuff. And so we had to go to counseling to deal with some stuff just a few months ago. So to answer your question, yes, we still go through things, but we yeah. know how to work it out. And, and we, we have a counselor. We, we have these principles that we apply. We are constantly taking classes, not to learn what to say to you, but to learn what to do in our own relationship because as we get better, we're able to offer more. Yeah. You would that's never. That's how it started, actually. Yeah, that's, that's exactly how it started. I am, and listen, not to say that your 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 whoever you go to has to have a counselor necessarily, but there should be someone that pours into them, because you can't pour out of an empty vessel. So if I'm not putting anything in me or anything in this marriage, then what what, what am I giving you, right? So you want to know that wow, there's somebody that you're accountable to. There's somebody that you go to when you have hiccups and struggles and a problem. Because if we're a perfect couple, then we can no longer relate to you. We can no longer empathize with what you're going through because we, cause we, we just don't understand that. We don't have those issues. So I think every couple has something. And as long as you're, and you're always going to constantly be working through those things. Is it normal to always want to be intimate with your wife? Sometimes I feel like I've got a problem. Or maybe it's because she's too good. She always turns me on. <laughs> so when I was in Nigeria last week, I wish I could play this video. I played a video of um, Family Feud. I don't know if you guys see Family Feud here with Steve Harvey. And, and the question was, name something that people will do for sex. <laughs> and so every woman got the answer wrong. Every single, but every man got the answer right. And so, you know, it's basically people answer questions and it's a rating. So it came out that men will kill for sex, they'll lie for sex, They'll die for sex. They'll beg for sex. They'll cry for sex. <laughs> and so it speaks to how important sex is to a man. All I have to do is look at my wife, and I'm ready to go. Smell her. Touch her. It doesn't require much. Does that mean that something's wrong with me? Absolutely not. But I realize that it may take more for her. Not that she's not attracted to me or doesn't want me, but she's different. Like, men are like microwaves and women are like crockpots, right? So it's a, it's a slow burn, right? So women require something different than what we require, but there's certainly nothing wrong with me because I can go right now. Does that make sense? And it's a personality thing, too, because, I mean, we've talked to a lot of couples, and it's not always the man that is the one driving the sex. Sometimes it's the woman that's, that's driving the sex. That's true. And then there's personality types, like, one thing that Hassani and I always talk about is the fact that Hassani is touchy-feely and I am not touchy-feely. So I have to remember to do this. Like, I have to be conscious. So if you see me touching him and doing this publicly, especially publicly, I'm, being, I'm consciously doing that. 
it is not natural for me because that's my marinade. I didn't grow up in a home where I was hugged and stuff like that. I wasn't touched like that. And so for me, it's very natural to just be just like this, and I'm good, right? I'm, like, totally good. But he might be like, you know, come here. And I'm like, oh, okay. And I got to adjust my situation. So it's nothing wrong with it. It's just a personality type, and, and you have to consider your spouse, and you all have to work it out between you, each other. We got five more minutes, okay? Are you, is, is this helpful? Are you getting anything? Okay. How do you get your husband to interact more with you if he plays often with gamer on his phone? How do you get your husband to offer to help with the chores? Okay, listen, really quickly. <clears throat> when you're dealing with the, the top ten emotional needs of men and women, all right, there's two that are spelled out in that question. One of them is recreational companionship, okay? So if I have a hobby or something that interests me or my wife does, let's just say that my wife's hobby, I'm going to just say it's shopping, right? And as a man, I'm just like, really? Here we go. Because once she gets in that mall, it's a wrap, right? And so she may want me to go to the mall with her. And I'm like, I don't want to go to the mall. I don't want to shop. It takes me two seconds to get in and get out, and I'm done. Well, Maybe being with my wife while she shops makes her feel good because I'm spending quality time with her. So I've had to learn, even though I don't like the activity, I need to love my wife through the activity. Does that make sense? Like Lifetime movies. She will watch a Lifetime movie in a second. Those chick flicks that I can't as a man stand. And so I will sit there. Yeah, she'll wake me up. But I'm giving her time. I'm loving her through that experience. And it makes her feel good. And so likewise, women, you need to do the same thing for your spouse. Some things you're just not going to like, but you just do it because you're spending time. Some things you're going to like. So creating hobbies that you both enjoy, creating activities that you both can embrace and enjoy, brings about that uh, connectedness, that togetherness. Dating regularly, these are the things you have to do. And when you do them, you work. The second thing, the second emotional need is Domestic support, right? And that's something that women typically require because they're overwhelmed with all the duties. And men, I'm telling you, please step up in that area because I've heard it before from so many women that women think that husbands who wash dishes is sexy. They find that sexy. The fact that you can vacuum, the fact that you can fold clothes, that will turn them on, brothers. So give them what they want and they'll give you what you want. We got three more minutes. They say money is the cause of the most of most divorces. What is the best approach to manage money to avoid it becoming a source of conflict? Drink from the same well. So really quickly, you come in to your marriage with a different money personality type, a different way of handling things. It's very common that you typically have a spender and the saver in the same relationship. And so you can create a budgetary system where both can embrace who they actually are. So there's money set aside to spend and blow and do whatever you want, but there's also money set aside for the future through savings and investments. And so when I say drink from the same well, we're constantly learning, right? So we will together read a book. We will together go to a class. We will together take a course. Because if I go to 
my financial coach and I get all this great information and then I come home and share it with her, it's hard for her to receive from me because we've had financial problems for the last couple of years and so she ain't trying to hear nothing I have to say. But if I say, hey, how about we go to the financial coach together and we're learning together, she's not hearing it from me, she's more open and receptive to the coach because of his track record. So this, I'm using that as an example, but if you, if you drink from the same well and unlearn certain things that you've learned and learn something new as a couple, you can win the financial game. One more? Yeah. Okay. What are, are we good? Are we good? Okay, two more. What are, okay. What are some of the practical tools we can use to co- consistently build our spouse up? Practical tools. All right, a couple. The Bible. To be honest with you, I think it's great if you did a couple's devotion with your spouse. So there's the Bible app. Do you guys, have you heard of the Bible app? There's a bunch of like couple devotionals you could just do in there where they give you principles and scriptures. And if you're doing that regularly, that will definitely help. I think creating a habit of prayer. You know, they say that couples who pray together stay together. So a lot of times, interestingly enough, we're very conservative and very private and uncomfortable about praying together. So we don't mind the physical intimacy, but the spiritual intimacy isn't there. And so we may go to church, and I may pray in front of the people. You know, I may pray, but praying together is something that's weird and awkward and uncomfortable, and I think we need to embrace that more because there's a level of connection that you have with your spouse in the spirit realm that you can't reach in any other area of your life, and that will be the glue that binds you together. And then just reading books and watching videos and doing things like this and remaining at Faith Hill Church under a brilliant leader called Pastor Tafara who gives you you know, situations like this to constantly reinforce your marriage. What do I do as a man to become the best version of myself for my partner? I'm talking about the capacity to surprise her with my acts of affection. I, you can answer this too. I would just say I'm a, I'm a student. I'm constantly reading, constantly learning, period, point blank. So there are a lot of great books that you can read. One great book that you can read that we recommend to all of our clients is Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself by Dr. Joe Dispenza, Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself. And he talks to about how you can become a new you or the best version of you. Because here's the deal. I can't be a good husband if I'm not a good man. I can't be a good father if I'm not a good man. So the common denominator in all of the roles that I play ultimately is me. So if I show up better overall as a person, I'm going to show up better in all of these other areas. Does that make sense? So constantly working on personal growth and self-development, the power of Kanai, constant and never-ending improvement is the key to your success in your marriage. Also, I think it's something to be said for practicing something that feels uncomfortable until it feels natural because it sounds like you want to be able to share affection with her, but you're unable to. There's something hindering, and you're, while you're on that journey to discover what that is, she's still in need of that affection. And so you need to just begin to practice it, and it's going to feel awkward, and it's going to feel strange, and that's okay until it doesn't. I remember um, with Hassani, I, I'm, I'm the type of person where, um, and know your spouse, because for me, being genuine and sincere is really important to me. So when Hassani would try to meet my needs and it would be something specific that I asked him for and then he would begin to do it, I would be perceiving and I would be like, mm, you're only doing that because I asked you to do it. Mm, nope. Like this is fake. And I felt like it was fake. 
But what I had to learn is that he was practicing this while until it felt comfortable. So he, if I said, I need you to say, if, like if I said, I need you to compliment me every day and say, Danielle, you look beautiful. Here's an example. And then in the morning he gets up and he says, Danielle, you look beautiful. I would be like, that is so unnatural, right? So what I want is for you to get that you can start operating in that affection, however she's expressing that need, and it may not feel comfortable for you, and also she might perceive it as not being genuine, but the more that you do it, it will become comfortable for you. We have two more questions? Yeah, three more. Is that all right? Okay. okay. My fiancé always say I don't love him enough. How can I show him that I really love him? By figuring out how he needs to receive love. So if, I get, if Danielle's love language is words of affirmation and I keep touching her, well, she's just like, all right, but get, you know, all right, all right, fine, all right. But you didn't say nothing to me, right? So I'm loving from a genuine place. I love you, but I'm loving you the wrong way. So you have to learn how your partner needs to receive it, period, point blank. How do you handle siblings of your spouse that drop their kids at your house every weekend? Is this a cultural thing? Because that's the second question. Yeah, it is? Okay, mm -hmm. well, that's question number one. How do you handle siblings of your spouse that drop their kids at your house every weekend? <laughs> Say no. Is that okay? I mean, set boundaries? Is this a situation? I, I mean, I, there's so many questions. It could be that. This person needs that because they have to go to work, and you're the family member that's supporting, um, you know, and if that's the case, is there other family members that can kind of take on some of the responsibilities so that you can get a weekend off? You just have to communicate and figure out a better way. Yeah. Uh, the power of joint agreement is what's critically important because if, if my 